you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22. And uh, missed everybody last week. I was in uh, Honolulu. I was uh, speaking at uh, Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor there. And uh, we had a great time. We were looking at things in the Bible called anomalies. And uh, again, I, I think it's really important because, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at somebody like Moses, the great deliverer of Israel. But how did he get, become that great deliverer? The things that he went through in his life to get him to that point where God could actually use him. I think many of us are going through those same things in our life, not because of where we're at right now, but what God is going to use us in the future. And so when we really look at it, you begin to recognize these unusual things that happen. He didn't just turn into this great leader to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he was called by God. But how did God call him? Well, he used the cell phone. He had his number. No, he didn't do that. He spoke to him, got his attention through a burning bush. Now, that's to me a very interesting thing. No doubt he'd probably seen burning bushes in the wilderness before. Lightning hits those plants and they begin to burn. But what caught his attention is it burned and burned and burned, but it didn't burn itself out. That's what caught his attention. He goes over and that's where God spoke to him to take off his shoes. Where he was standing was holy ground. All the way through the Bible, you'll see weird anomalies, but it's how God would get people's attention. You remember the woman at the well. Jesus comes into town and he looks at this woman. He says, woman, give me a drink. And she says to Jesus, you being a Jew, ask me for a Samaritan for a drink of water. We don't have dealings one with another. There's a prejudice between us. How is that you, being a Jew, asked me for a drink of water? Even she recognized what? The anomaly. The anomaly was that he was a Jew, she was a Samaria or a, a, a Gentile, and that they didn't converse with one another. All the way through the Bible, you will see anomalies to get people's attention. I was always thinking about the time of the flood. Here's Noah working on a boat for over a hundred years. People coming by saying, hey, Noah, why don't you turn that into a casino? No, I, I mean, I can't imagine the thoughts, the things that people would say to him over a period of time, watching him build a boat out in the middle of nowhere where the Bible said it had never rained before. But then what's even weirder is when one day all these weird animals that you haven't seen before start showing up, And they start getting on this boat. See, to me, that's an anomaly that would command my attention. I would say that is not normal. Well, when you see as a Christian things that don't fit, things that aren't normal, look for God. That's what we talked about last week in Hawaii. Because again, the reason is because again, we need to learn to speak God's language. I believe God speaks to us, not oftentimes the way we want him to. I've had people say to me, oh, what I'd give for, give for a one minute cell phone call to God. That'd be really good. Hey God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Should I move? Should I stay? Should I buy this? Should I not buy this? You know, all these different questions that we have. But how do we then learn the language of God? Or how then do we know when God is trying to get our attention? I believe again, friends, if you do an overall view through the Bible, you will see when things don't fit, there is a reason. 
And that's to get our attention because otherwise we would miss it. So really, I believe, as it says in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things I have to do then is I have to be aware of how God will get my attention to do his will. So once again, you always want to be looking for things that don't fit normal. Now, we've been going through the book of, we've been going through the Bible. We are currently in the book of Exodus chapter 22. Now in this that we're reading, what you find, people say, Mike, how is the Old Testament even relevant to 21st century American, 21st century Christians, and uh, being a New Testament church in every way? The Bible says, you as his bride will rule and reign with him on this earth. That's what the Bible says. Now, yeah, I know we're going to have that new Jerusalem. What's beyond the stars? Gee, dad, can I take the Galactica out tonight? That'll flash back for some of you. But anyway, what's beyond the stars? God's going to show us. God's going to show us his greatness in everything. But for a thousand years, the Bible says we will rule and reign with him on this earth. Now, you've got to remember, you're administrators of God's justice on this earth. Now, even though, if you study your Bible, you'll find Satan was bound for almost a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ, we are still dealing with something on this earth that Jesus said must be corrected, and that is, you must be born again. So even though, remember, even though we're in a millennial reign of Christ with Jesus reigning over the earth, perfect world, perfect environment, perfect food, perfect government, perfect, perfect, perfect. We still, the world will be dealing, you as Christians, you as administrators of God's law on this earth, people with an old sin nature. That old sin nature that oftentimes many of our philosophers and our psych classes in college try to deny. You may try to deny it as well. But Jesus said it is so bad and so rotten, you must be born again, he says in John chapter 3. Why is that? There is something inherently wrong that we inherited from Adam and Eve in the garden. And friends, we see it all the time. You open your newspaper, you can see it everywhere, this old sin nature. Now, in chapter 22, what we find right now is God laying down the law. Now, people say, well, how is this relevant? I believe what you're reading will be the law during the millennial reign of Christ. In other words, God doesn't change. People say, well, how will God judge the world someday? You have a Bible. That's how he's going to judge the world. That's why the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. So the Bible is the standard in which God will judge the world someday. And if God's going to judge the world someday from this book, and you are administrators of his righteousness here on this earth, how important it is for number one, you to know it. Number two, you to live in it. Now, again, Jesus said all the law that we're reading about, the prophets, everything, Ten Commandments, hang upon two 
commandments that Jesus gave. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say keep the Ten Commandments, friends. He said keep my commandments. What is God's commandments? Well, we know the Ten. But they were summarized really in what Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. For he said, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. So really, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from him. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to be taking advantage of him. Well, how can I do that with an old sin nature? It's pretty hard to do, ain't it? You need to be born again. And here's why. Because when you become born again, you can truly say, our father, which art in heaven, my daddy in heaven, who's going to take care of me so I don't have to steal from you. That's how it changes. See, it isn't just a perspective change. It's being born again, being adopted into God's family. And that allows us to go to heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, cause us to become aware of your presence in our life. And that nothing as your child comes to us by accident, but by divine appointment. And so as we read these words today, May you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, he says this. If a man steals an ox. Okay, hold it right there. If a man steals an ox. I don't know that probably any of you in this room had your ox stolen this week. No? Okay. Well, never mind. Just mark it out with your felt marker. We don't need it. No, no, no. It's talking about anything that anybody steals from you. You see, you got to understand that even during the millennial reign of Christ, Satan's locked up. People that you, the, the people who did not take the mark of the beast, that go into the millennial reign of Christ, you, you, we will be ruling and governing over, making sure that all things work the way they're supposed to. If anybody steals, this goes back to that old sin nature. Man, I'll tell you, we got one. And I'll tell you something, your kids have got one too. Yeah, you know what's interesting about children. Have you ever noticed that? You see, they're not real polished in hiding the old sin nature yet. You'll go into the kitchen, and you see the, where they pulled out the little drawers in the kitchen cabinets, their little stairway to heavenly cookies. And you walk in, and you'll say, What are you doing? And then we'll look at you with all sincerity and go, nothing. Now, there are certain foods that I have found are better at revealing the Olsen nature than others. Chocolate chip cookies are one of the more better telltale signs that your kids have been where they haven't and not supposed to have been. Because little chocolate melts, it's all over their face. And they got all over their fingers... The little drawers are all pulled out, bags are torn, and they go, nothing? Really? You see, they haven't learned yet how to hide their old sin nature. And the old sin nature manifests in different ways, different times, almost continually in in a child's life. Because again, like I say, they are working on the deception of hiding an old sin nature 
And this is one of the great problems that we find in our world today. The old sin nature is just tamped down. But friends, it's still there in people. That's why the Bible says we need to pray about everything. Now, I want to take people at their word. I like to take people at their word. I'm an old folksy kind of guy, you know, raised by my, my parents from Idaho. I, you know, all those things. I, I, I like the handshake deal, but I have found don't let the handshake and the smile fool you. Smiling faces tell lies. That's one of the problems. And kids are really good at it. And you got to remember... The old sin nature can be summarized in a very simple term. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Now, that means I'm going to be watching out for number one. Now, when we become a Christian, God then watches out for you and me, which frees me up to be about my father's business. I can truly call him my father because I'm his child. I have a daddy that watches over me who's going to provide for me, you, all the things we need to live for him. That's a great thing, friends. But if we forget that, we snap back into the self-preservation mode. Now, I'm really amazed because, again... Um, if you want to know what it's like, if you're around children, you have children, um, you want to be reminded maybe why you don't want children, I don't know. But they have, we have concepts that are so weird. Now, again, uh, when you're traveling, I, I remember when I was a kid, we grew up in, in a time when there were no laws concerning children. Uh, you, there was no seatbelts. Uh, I don't know if you remember like 57 Ford station wagons, 56 Ford Chevys. You know, you could fold the seats down and the whole back of the station wagon. That's a weird word, isn't it? Station wagon. Anyway, SUV. Anyway, whatever you want to call it. But the, the seat would fold down flat and it was just all metal. No seatbelts. See, the government's trying to help you moms and dads separate your children. They strap them in their seat with belt buckles and everything like that. But back in those days, they didn't do that. And so it was just a free-for-all back there. You know, you could pull your sister's hair, whatever. You could fight. You're, you're doing all this stuff. Your parents are screaming at you to stop fighting. You didn't care because they were driving. They couldn't get you. And then dad slam on the brakes. And then you would slide right up to the front seat. And then you find this big hairy arm come around and grab you by the head and grab you and start backing you around. I remember, true story, I don't think I've ever shared this. We're going up Whittier Boulevard in California. A cop pulls my mother over for attempted drunk driving. He says, have you been drinking? She says, no. He goes, why were you driving the way you were driving? She says, I was reaching over the back seat trying to correct my children. The cop says, I completely understand, and let her go. She was doing one of these things. But you got to remember, see, in children, in the old sin nature, we have a different perspective of self-preservation than somebody else. See, remember, so then the, the, you know, the, the back went up, and then the seats came back. We had to sit in. Then there was the imaginary line that went down between the seats. Remember that? He's touching me. He's touching me. See, in your mind, the line on the seat that separates her side from your side was this wide. That line in your mind was real wide. So see, I could reach way over before I ever crossed the line. 
But my sister's perspective was a razor blade line. You cross that line, I have a right to pull your hair. This is just the way it works. The Olsen natures. And we get better at hiding it as we get older. Now, God knows how to flush that out. And when we read these laws, especially as we've already read the Ten Commandments, but now we find more of a zoom in, if you will, on on uh, moral restraint, on on uh, on uh, you know making things right when something goes wrong. So that's what we find. If a man steals an ox or a sheep or a Corvette and slaughters it. Cuts it up, sells it on the internet. I'm sorry, I, you know what I'm saying. If he steals an ox, a sheep, and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for ox, four sheep for sheep. So 500% uh, punishment. If you get caught, see, the thing is, if you cut it up and you're trying to sell it, that shows you did it on purpose. It wasn't an oopsie, gee, I was just really hungry, I needed something to eat, so therefore, I took your sheep, I cut it up, and ate it. No, you, you, were, you were racketeering here. This is what you were doing. And so, you got punished. Now, here's why this is important. And you can see the difference between maybe where we're at governmentally today and versus where the people of Israel were uh, back in the time of Moses. By taking a thief, putting him in prison, they are not producing anything, are they? No. In fact, they become, you, all of us, have to pay for them to be in prison. I I forget, I was reading in some states, it costs like $90,000 per inmate to keep them in prison. I often wonder, couldn't you just go to the thief and say, hey, listen, here's $75,000, keep out of trouble. You just saved us all, you know, 20,000 bucks a year. Uh, Just a thought. But no, the problem is, is that God knew that. So what he did then is he says, you get caught doing this, it's going to cost you. And so that's the way it was. It was a 400% on sheep, 500% on oxen. Why was it more for oxen than sheep? Because oxen were generally used for plowing fields. So you took somebody's oxen, it'd be like stealing their tractor if you were a farmer. Now a sheep, yeah, you might not get the wool, you might not get the lamb chops, but the thing is, it wouldn't stop your operation of farming. But somebody steal your ox, they just stole your John Deere, and it's pretty bad. So you could starve. So that's why the penalty was more. Verse 2, if the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Stand your ground law. That's where it came from right here. Isn't that amazing? Somebody's breaking in your house, and and you whack them with a frying pan, and they die? No harm, no foul. They shouldn't have been there. Now, see, we're having a lot of that. You, you see, I, I, again, I, I think maybe next, not next Sunday, but maybe the Sunday after, Well, I'll I'll, I'll surprise you all with what we'll do. But we're going to get really, really relevant, okay? 
But the point is, is that there's probably not one aspect in our newspapers today that the Bible doesn't have something right now pointed to say about it and where the amiss has come from and why we're in the problems that we're in. You see, in other words, our jails are overcrowded because people that steal, but rather than making them pay and correct this, they become then wards of the state, which we all have to support. Then you find this here, somebody breaking in, all these different things. Now, let's go to verse 3. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold as a thief. Sold, he shall be sold as himself. Uh, In other words, he's going to be auctioned off. If you don't have anything, if you're stealing and you get caught and you don't have anything, the only thing you can do to make the restitution is for six years you sold yourself into slavery. Let me tell you, a lot of our theft in this country, a new thing, I don't know if you saw it in the newspaper the last couple of days, was the Bastion Grab. They just go into a store with sledgehammers and they break everything they hold everybody at gunpoint they steal all the jewels they steal all the it happened to a home depot or a lowe's or something like that somewhere in california and they they just go in and ransack the place see i i don't know that that's a different world than i think most of us are used to and, and so here you find the same thing if they get caught and they don't have anything to pay back they themselves then sell themselves into slavery for six years that's what it's talking about if the theft is certainly found alive a, a in his hand whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep he shall restore double so in other words if he didn't cut it up he, he wasn't trying to sell it on eBay um, or to his next door neighbors or something like that. Uh, he would only have to pay 200% restitution, not 500%. Why is that? Because when he cut the animal up and was trying to sell it, it showed the real motive. Where a person that maybe took it, maybe took it foolishly or whatever, he, his his punishment was not as much as it would have been. It was only double. Verse five: If a man causes a field or a, virgin, a, a vineyard to be grazed, and lets loose his animal, and it feeds on another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. So basically, this kind of goes back to the eye for eye, tooth for tooth. If your cow gets loose, goes into somebody else's, or you did it on purpose. Hey, you know, our field's kind of scanty right now. Let it go over and hit uh, our next door neighbors. Well, if you get caught doing that, that's not good. It says, if he breaks out and catches in thorns, so uh, that uh, stack grain, standing grain, the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. This is talking about vandalism. People that burn somebody else's stuff down, he's going to make restitution. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, And it's stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he had his hand in the neighbor's goods disappearance. 
Hey, I'm going to go. I I want you to take care of this. Take care of this for me. I'll I'll come back in a month and I'll get it from you. And the guy comes back and he says, where's my thing? And the guy goes, "Uh, it's gone. What happened to it? Oh, it got stolen. It did. Okay. Did you find the thief that did it? If you did, that's one issue. If you didn't, now we have another issue because this guy could have kept your goodies and said that somebody else stole it, but they're really in his basement. See the thing? Oh, this see what I see here? I see that Olson nature. How clever it is. And here the Bible, here God is trying to address those different um, chocolate chip cookies all over your child's face. To make sure that you're not part of the scam. You're not part of what's really happening here. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought forth to the judges to see whether he had a hand in his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, donkey, sheep, you can put your own stuff in there, or any other lost thing, any other claim to be his, that the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, whomever the judge condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. And if a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, a beast, to keep, and it dies or is hurt or driven away, and no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between both of them, and he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner shall accept that, and and he shall not make good. So, when you look at this, you realize that um, there was a way of solving the disputes that would happen between people. Now, now again, uh, they said right now, America is the most litigious that it has ever been. I mean, people are suing each other over parking spots anymore. And so when we realize this, you begin to see how this can continue to go on. And so this is where he says, look, if somebody had their hand in this and he said, no, I didn't, you make an oath before the Lord, then the Bible says, let God work it out. God will be the one that will make the difference. But in fact, verse 12, it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it's torn to pieces by an animal, then he shall bring the evidence and he shall not make good, and he shall not make good what was torn. Um, You say, what? Okay, you let your neighbor take care of your sheep for you. You take off, you go down to downtown Jerusalem to the uh, swap meet, okay? You come back in a couple of weeks, and he says, hey, sorry, your animal is uh, gone. Where'd it go? Uh, I don't know. I think it ran off. You should take better care of your animals and train them better. No, he said, it's gone. We don't know where it went. Well, then what happened? Well, we got a problem here because, uh, uh, well, uh, animals got it. A- the animals ate it. Some, some, some wild jackal came out of the woods and ate your sheep. He says, then you bring the carcass to the magistrates 
And they will then determine that in fact it wasn't stolen, that it was mauled. Why is that important? Because if there's no carcass, then that means that it wasn't eaten by another animal. Maybe this guy turned around and just sold it to somebody. That's why it was. So there was different things that would go on to protect the evidence of of the things that were disappearing. And if any man borrows anything from his neighbor, it becomes injured or dies. The owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. But if the owner was with it and he has not made it good, if it was hired or came uh, for his hire. So in other words, you are responsible when you let things. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs, don't be surety for a stranger. You say, what does that mean? Don't be a cosigner. I've had people come to me and say, hey, Mike, you know, I'm trying to take out a loan here at the bank. And, uh, you know, like my credit's really shot. Uh, you know, I got a credit score of negative 20. And I want you to be a cosigner for me. Bro. You ever got that one? The Bible says, don't do it. Proverbs goes on, Solomon goes on and says, why should they take your bed because he can't pay? Now, if the person says, hey, bro, you know, the the family of God is an interesting thing. It's one of the most precious things in the world and probably one of the most frustrating things in the world. Amen. I know a lot of people that don't want to go to church because they met Christians. Sad, isn't it? Maybe they didn't meet real Christians. Maybe they met plastic Christians. But the thing is, is that a real Christian, when you realize a person, when they become born again, King David said, I've never seen the seed of the righteous begging bread. Your God will provide for you according to his riches and glory. How does God do that? I don't know. I just know he does. Whether it's multiplying the loaves and fishes... Or whether it's just having birds come and deliver your meals like it was for Elijah. I don't know. But I know God has a way of doing it. And if a person comes to me and says, bro, and I'm just warning all of you in the church here. If somebody does that to you, you need to redirect them to who their daddy is. I just say, who's your daddy? Because your Father in heaven will provide all of their needs, all of your needs, according to his riches and glory. That's why the Bible says that. So if somebody says, hey, I need you to co-sign a loan for me, bro, then I'd say, well, bro, you need to go back to your heavenly Father and see what does he want you to have. Maybe he doesn't want you to have that. Now, that doesn't mean, because we're going to get down here a little bit farther, that doesn't mean we turn our eye to the poor at all. We want to help people. But we want to remember that people in that Olson nature will even use the Bible, use God for their advantage. We've got to be careful about that. So, in other words, Proverbs tells us that Maybe it just may be father, daddy is trying to get their attention to redirect the way they spend their money back to a godly format rather than what I see is what I get. And you're going to pay for it. Big difference. 
So he tells us here, we want to be careful. So when you become surety for a stranger, and so you want to, you want to remember that, uh, especially in different things that you may do. Uh, Solomon felt it was enough of an issue to mention it in Proverbs. Verse 16, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed, and he lays with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. A bride price in those days was commonly called a dowry. Now what it was, was alimony in advance. Just was. In other words, if you want to marry me, uh, I'm going to give you this large sum of goats, sheep, gold, whatever it might be, in advance, so that if I prove to be a flake, you're going to be taken care of. That's what it was. That's what a dowry actually was. You were putting a down payment on your, uh, on your, to, to the father, on your daughter, to take care of her if this guy proves to be a flake. So he says, you're going to do that. If you lay with her, you basically engaged her is what it's saying here. Now, here again, this is where the Bible is pretty strong on morality issues. Not real popular in our world today, but very much what the Bible says. Now, it doesn't say that he'll be taken out and executed. Um, there are some other verses farther up that deal with that because of the, uh, the um, not going by what it says here. If the father utterly refuses to give her to him, you know, you're a flake, I don't want to see your face, go away kind of thing, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. In other words, of what the dowry was in those days that was set. And you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Now, sorceress uh, uh, covers male and female. It covers those in incantations, contacting the dead, using drugs. Uh, in the New Testament, the word sorcery is, the word actually out of the Greek is the word pharmakia, uh, which means mind-altering things. So a lot of times, in fact, many people know that when you go out and get strung out on drugs, uh, pharmakia, uh, it opens yourself up to demonic activity. And many, many people, I believe today, are possessed because of altering themselves through drugs. That's one of the reasons why our forefathers felt it was so bad to allow drugs to be widely used. Now, we see the legalization of pot. We see all these different problems. Uh, I, I've been reading some of the things. Now that pot is so widely used in California, boy, I don't know what's wrong with that state. But anyway, uh, you, you see the wide use of, of drugs. They're finding all kinds of other, oh yeah, it cures glaucoma. Yeah, but it's giving people heart attacks now as well. There's a lot of things that these things do that we don't know. And a lot of things we don't know the long-term effect on. And so, as you look at this, those that were really your drug dealer, your spiritual guide, 
away from the things of God. He says, don't allow them to live. Why? Because it destroys the culture. Now, one of the things you'll find in the New Testament, you don't find anywhere where if you found a witch, you were to kill them. Um, so I wish people that, you know, that today, even now in Salem, Massachusetts, kind of fault Christians for, you know, cooking witches would have just simply realized the New Testament, we want to pray for them. We don't want to kill them. But under the Old Testament law, God understood, and without the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, in Acts chapter 2, that came upon the believers, people would be subjected to many evil spirits and many things. And look at all the people that Jesus cured of demonic possession in his ministry. In just those three years that he walked this earth, how many people that he touched. And the demonic uh, uh, oppression caused many things. It caused illness. It caused uh, uh, psychopathic behavior, the man of Gadara. It caused a, a, a suicide thing. It, 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 it included fascination with things that are dead. Remember, where did the, where did the man uh, Gadara live? It says he lived in the graveyard. Uh, uh, he was a cutter. He had cut himself, the Bible says. He had supernatural strength. Some could tell fortunes. Some, it would, it would blind or, or cause them to be deaf. Demonic activity is alive and well on the earth today. And that's why, listen, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon this morning, get this. Always keep Jesus between you and the devil. Don't go around trying to find the names of devils. You know, when I've come in contact with people who have been demon possessed, I just go in the name of Jesus out. I don't want to know your name. I don't know where, I don't want to know your zip code. I want you to go away. It's interesting as we study about demons in the Bible, they're territorial. The Bible says if you cast the demon out of somebody and you don't share with them Jesus and something wonderful and warm and of God comes into their life, that demon that was cast out will go get seven more demons worse than himself and try to move back into the person that he was just kicked out of. Why do demons want to be in a body? Because they're disembodied spirits. They need a body in order to do the devious things they want to do. And so that's why I believe through the things that we see in our world today. And you look at movies, you look at what Hollywood has done. You look at all these different things, uh, popularizing demonic activity. You look at all this crazy stuff. And in some way that makes it okay. It's not okay. In fact, God knew that it would ruin culture, it would ruin the people of Israel. And so he said, you should not allow a sorceress to live. Verse 8, 19. Whoever lies with the beast shall be put to death. Bestiality and all that kinky word stuff that goes on. Uh, many people, uh, in fact, they, they pretty much have tributed most all venereal disease to bestiality. Uh, now, uh, something real important you want to understand, you can just breeze over these things and miss this. But remember when God told uh, Samuel, tell Saul to go utterly wipe out the Amalekites and kill all the animals, kill everything. Don't bring back anything alive. And I've had people on Terry Menace or Colin, they'll say things like, well, what kind of a God would say things like that? Well, it simply shows that People don't understand how kinky weird people can get. Their animals were polluted. The people were polluted. Everything. Kill them all. They're bad news. And what did Saul do? He brings back sheep and cattle and 
He goes to Samuel and says, Samuel, I did just what you told me to do. I killed the Amalekites and wiped out everything. And Samuel says, what's this bleeding of of sheep I hear in my ears? You didn't do what God said to do. You, you, You did what you thought you should do. And by the way, God rejected him from being king over that. But what's amazing is that there was a reason why God would come and tell Joshua, kill everything, because of bestiality. In Canaanite religious practices, having sex with animals was, like, really good. It's really bad. And God knew that, and so that's why when he'd say, go in and wipe out everything, everything, everyone, And every once in a while in the Bible, you'll catch something that they all miss for a cleansing for the land. Why? Because we can even see today diseases brought on by bad lifestyles, destroying individuals, destroying culture, destroying these things. Now, does that mean God doesn't love you? No, that means God does love you, but God wants us to be wise and don't ever find yourself being captivated by that. See, the devil's really good at hiding truth. He never tells you the consequences for the sin you're about to do. This is how he's a specialist in sin. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, he says, he who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Uh, That's right. God was very strict about that because, again, they had been trained in Egypt for 400 years of pantheism, worshiping idols, all these things. God says, you got to get it out of your system. It ain't going to be good for you. Then he goes on and he says, you shall... Neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. In other words, we want to be gracious. We want to be kind to people that are new, people that don't know God. That's part of our heart and what we want to do. And so he says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. In fact, if anything, we're supposed to help them and we're supposed to be the family that they don't have. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives your and will be widows and your children will be fatherless. You don't want to make God mad. I just know that there's a lot of things you can do. Just don't get God mad at you. That's a good thing. If you, t- t- um, he says, if you lend money, to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like the moneylenders or the banks. To him, you shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Why? Because that might be the only thing he has to keep him warm. So, okay, I'll lend you the money, but you give me this for collateral. But then the Bible says, then you be sure you give that back to him before the sun goes down. Well, when, why would you take it in the first place? I think that's a fair question. Well, it's because then you can take that that he gave you, and you can even go to your friends and say, look, he gave me this because I lend him money. And God says, okay, once you show it everybody, give it back to him. So he says, 
for verse 27 for for that is the only covering it uh, is his garment for his skin what will he sleep in and it will be that when he cries to me i will hear for i am gracious you shall not revile god nor curse the ruler of your people. You shall not delay. Uh, By the way, that's speaking of godly government. All the way through the Bible, you find where people who love God stood up against wicked government, whether it be Elisha, uh, whether it be um, uh, especially Elijah, um, Jeremiah, Jesus called Herod, that old fox, not a good term, uh, all the way through. So, you shall not revile God nor curse the rule of your people, you shall not delay an offering of the first of your uh, ripe produce for your juices. The uh, firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. By the way, the firstborn always belongs to God. Um, I did that one time. I said, how many people in here are firstborn in your family? And uh, why don't we do that? How, how, who's a firstborn here? Yeah, it, it, you belong to God right, right from the get-go. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen, your sheep. It shall be with its mother. Seven days on the eighth day, you shall give it to me. Uh, this talking about tithe and, and things like this. You shall be holy men. You shall not eat any meat which is torn by beasts in the field. Uh, you shall throw it to the dogs. Because in that tearing of the meat, uh, bad blood could have got in there, germs from the, the, the animal that was attacking to it. You'd be contaminated. He just says, hey, animal torn, don't try to salvage it. Just give it to the animals for food. Amen. Case in point, old sin nature. You may really be wrestling with such a thing in your life right now. And if you are, i got some good news for you. You can get help. The Bible says you must be born again. I like that about God because he knows what we need before we ask. And because we can say, God, I need to be born again. God says, I'm going to put something in you that will give you the power to overrule that old sin nature. That's what you need. And so when God does this in our life, that gives us strength. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're living your life the way you think it should be lived. Like a kid in the kitchen, eating chocolate chip cookies. Denying that you really have an Olson nature that will lie, cheat, steal, do whatever it needs to do to cover for itself. That self-preservation, God says, I want to take care of you. I want to be your daddy. I'm going to free you up. You don't have to do that anymore. And I'll let... I'll take care of you. You let me take care of everything else. That's a good deal. Trading away something you can't keep for something you'll never lose. That's a good deal. This morning, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, if you've never realized you're a sinner and you need to be saved, that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. His blood was shed for you. It's because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you need that in your life. Letting God be God. Let him bless you. Let him heal you and restore you. This morning, if you've never prayed, and you might say, you know, I'm looking at some of these things, like some of these things you read about stealing and stuff like that. I've done all that. You need to be forgiven. You're carrying a lot of guilt around on your shoulders that you were never designed by God as a human being to carry. You need to be forgiven. And the Bible says, if we'll ask, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning, you can walk out of here a completely different person than you walked in here as. 
You can walk out of here with the Holy Spirit in you instead of an old sin nature that wants to do whatever it wants to do for self-preservation. You see, God can do that for you. And then God opens your eyes to anomalies, things that are different, and that's where God will show you what to do, where to go, and how to be. This morning, if you've never asked God to come into your life, we're going to pray right now. And the Bible says, if, if you'll ask him, he will do this. So, so if, you want, if you don't want another 10 years like you just had, you pray this and let God do what he wants to do in your life right now. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. These things we read about in your Bible, I'm guilty of some of them. And so I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and he took away my sins. And so I ask you now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me power to live my life the way I will live it without regret. And Lord, I believe you rose from the dead to give me life as well each and every day. So write my name now in your book of life so I can spend eternity with you forever. And Lord, may my life reflect your love in this world in Jesus' name. Amen.